Just before we get started, this conversation does touch on themes that people might find distressing. Please check the show notes for more details. We've all been much more conscious of our health during this past year. That's what a pandemic will do. It's not just our physical health, though, it's also our emotional health, because it's, it's such an anxious time. Perhaps, like me, you've been reflecting on how our bodies and minds are more closely entwined than we might have thought. What has this got to do with dance, you might ask? I'm David Jays, and this is Why Dance Matters, a podcast from the Royal Academy of Dance about the role that dance can play in all of our lives. The RAD has long been interested in exploring ideas around well-being. Its Latin motto even translates as health and happiness. Dance can seal the connection between health and happiness. The RAD's Silver Swans classes, ballet classes aimed at older people, have been a wild success But I wanted to ask what my mum would call a proper doctor for her take on this. Our guest today is definitely a proper doctor, Dr Goody Singh. She's a leading paediatrician and BBC broadcaster. She's also a passionate communicator about looking at our health in the round rather than compartmentalising our physical and mental states. And it's not just an abstract idea to her. Goody has introduced dance into hospitals and set the children's ward dancing. I'm looking forward to hearing how that experiment worked and about Goody's own journey through dance. And I'm especially excited to hear a medical professional's take on our fallible, vulnerable human bodies. Goody Singh, hello. Hello. (laughs) Hi, David. Thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. So, Goody, when was the last time that you took a dance class or, you know, just went out for a bop? I can tell you this with great accuracy (laughs) because I did the hoovering this morning and Beyonce was playing in the background and I was shaking my booty and I completely (laughs) enjoyed the housework because the music was on and I was able to dance while I was doing it. I love the idea of you (laughs) bopping around the house hoover mr sheen (laughs) so how did it all begin how did dance first enter your life were you a little dance class kiddie yeah it's a bit of a love-hate relationship dance and myself you know I just as a bit of background so I'm a pediatrician now but I grew up in the northeast of England in a tiny little industrial town called Hartlepool it's on the northeast coast used to be famous for the steel industry and fish and chip shops but that's you know that's all kind of faded I was a very very fat child (laughs) and my poor mother decided to take matters into her own hands and signed me up to some dance classes and found some ballet classes in our local town I was the biggest child (laughs) there both in age and in size and sadly my overriding memory of this whole thing was watching the other children who were graceful, slim, invariably blonde, (laughs) doing these beautiful dances across the floor and then 
being able to see myself in this very tight electric blue leotard <laughs> and oh, wow. and feeling yes. clumsy feeling ugly and feeling just entirely out of place there was still a part of me that desperately wanted to be like the other girls desperately wanted to be able to sweep across that wooden floor and yet I just you know I just didn't feel like I belonged there that was enough to kind of put me off any thought of dancing for years after that and so it's it's oh, funny it now is, to be yeah. in this position where I'm talking to you about dance because it doesn't feel like it's something that should be in my DNA and was it was it just the wrong class at the wrong age were you just were you as physically at ease with yourself generally or was <laughs> were you feeling shy and awkward and at the worst possible self-conscious time well you know I wasn't I wasn't all that old I wasn't a teenager by then but you know at the age of Mm. I think I was about seven so old enough to start having a sense of self definitely and and self-consciousness but I was aware of the fact that I was overweight I even remember going to my own pediatrician at the time and you know her wrapping the the tape measure around my belly and putting me on the scales turning to my mother and saying you know she's overweight she's got to have to lose weight the feeling that i had inside you know, that heart sink of feeling like oh god i'm disappointing everyone i'm not measuring up here and literally in that case i'm not measuring up there's so much yeah. wrapped up in our bodies right and our identities that starts from a very young age so you know it's taken me a long time to feel at home in my body And weirdly, it was dance much more recently in my life that has allowed me to inhabit my body much, much more happily. Wow. And that's incredible that you didn't just decide you would never move to music again as long (laughs) as you lived. Because, I mean, that sense of, you know, shame and and, and discomfort, when they settle into your bones, that that can be really damaging, can't it? Oh, massively. You know, the medical profession... It hasn't fully acknowledged this fact yet, but trauma does hide within the body, especially if it's trauma that's not been dealt with, that has not been addressed in some way. In my practice as a pediatrician, I see lots of children who have been through incredibly difficult times, who, for whatever reason, have gone through a lot of trauma. Often what happens is that that trauma doesn't exhibit in any kind of physical injury that you might relate to what may have originally resulted in the trauma but actually comes out in different ways, you know. So we often see children who present with headaches or stomach aches or joint pains. To me, it speaks of this connection between the mind and the body, which we all too often ignore in modern medicine and in healthcare. And the reason that dance appeals to me is because it taps into both of those things. Your mind and your body are brought together in dance. And so that's why I'm really interested in exploring how dance can be used in therapy, not just for my patients, but also for the health professionals who are working at a very difficult time in the NHS right now. And that, I guess, we don't know what the long-term effect of this period is going to be for for all of us, but yeah, especially for the medical professionals who have really borne the brunt of that anxiety and stress and overwork. We know that there are a whopping 85% of doctors who have experienced mental health issues, and yet only about 35% will ever actually seek regular health care of any kind, let alone mental health. It's almost a taboo subject. It's one of those things that we know is widespread, but we don't talk about it. And I can speak as someone who has gone through that myself. So we've got this massive disparity in the amount of 
mental health burden that there is in the doctor population and their health seeking behavior. I mean, ultimately, doctors are really bad at going to see the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're our own worst enemy because, you know, being a doctor is not just physically or intellectually demanding. It's also really emotionally draining. And for me as a doctor to be able to help my patients with their own mental health problems, surely I've got to be whole myself. You know, I've got to have taken care of myself before I can truly take care of anyone else. And so my concern is that we now have a whole generation of doctors who are absolutely run ragged at the end of this, you know, almost never ending seeming pandemic. Yeah. And when are they going to get the chance to recharge, to rejuvenate, to revitalize themselves so that they can come back to their practice and their own families with the energy that that all takes? And I suppose there's also that question of, at the best of times, medicine is a difficult profession and you're overworked and you're working long hours and you're not eating properly and all of those things are going on. Has that got better over the course of your medical career, people addressing that, telling their colleagues and especially their junior colleagues to take a break and to look after themselves? Over the course of the, let's just say the last 15 years, yes, things have gotten better. I mean, thank God they've gotten better. But medicine is still medicine. In many ways, I, you know, I think of it a bit like being in the military. And it is that kind of tough minded attitude to things. And again, I can tell you from my own experience what it's like to work in the NHS. I have had to work 12, 13 hour shifts before where I've barely been able to get to the toilet, let alone to stop to eat or drink properly. And then even, you know, when you do manage to get a break, the food that you're going to reach for or be able to get, you know, it's fast food, it's fat junk food. And by the time you get home, you know, at the end of your commute, Things like exercise or relaxation, all of that stuff is like the very last thing on your mind. You know, you've just got to get yourself to bed and get ready for the next day. It's very difficult, I think, still for doctors to be able to A, admit that they're having difficulties or that they're struggling in any way. And part of that is because we don't think that our colleagues will care or that we will seem weak in front of our colleagues. That we will somehow seem like we're not up to the job. And that's the worst thing you can ever tell a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) So you're just desperately appearing strong and invulnerable at all times. I I have spent most of my career (laughs) pretending that everything is okay, And that is part of the job. You know, at least for my patients, I do need to make sure that they do believe that everything is okay because I'm all they've got in some instances. I have to convey that confidence to them. But why we feel that we have to do that with our colleagues, that's a really interesting question, isn't it? What is it that we really think it's going to cost us? I mean, I think maybe at some level we are afraid that if we're thought of as weak, that we might not be in line with the jobs anymore. We, we might be taken out somehow or just whatever. But is it just personal pride? Is it a societal thing? Is it a cultural thing? Is yeah. it to do with you know Britain and having a slip up a lip? I don't know. These are all really interesting questions that I don't think we've really dug into. Was it when you were in the middle of that maelstrom of working too hard, not being able to take care of yourself properly? Was that the time you came back to dance? Weirdly, yes. It's actually interesting talking to you now, David. I have to be honest, like I have hardly ever said any of this out loud, let alone in public. 
you know, I'm realizing having in the process of doing this, that actually this is what it is. It's difficult as a doctor to talk about times when you've been vulnerable and just admitting that, you know, yeah, there were times when I felt weak. And there was one particular time in my career when I was still, I guess, quite young, but having to take quite a responsible role. And I had a string of really difficult cases and a couple of child deaths, really horrible, horrible situations to deal with, which at the time and now in retrospect, I can see that, you know, I just wasn't supported by my colleagues. We didn't have that mental health discussion or debrief that we might have had, or we hopefully do have now. I felt like I was in the middle of this crisis of confidence. I did not believe that I should be practicing anymore as a doctor. I was on the point of giving it all up. And had it not been for the fact that I happened to stumble upon some Bollywood dance classes, which at the time was just as a a way of distracting myself or, you know, trying to keep fit, I would not be here speaking to you about being a pediatrician in the NHS now, today, because those dance classes were the turning point. They started what has now become a long love affair with dance, but they pulled me out of despair you know they they showed me how to enjoy life again they showed me how to feel at home in my body again well they taught me how to be happy again if I'm honest because at that point it was all dark and despair and suddenly there was this bright bright light that came from something as simple as being in a room full of people enjoying music together that's incredible did it feel immediately the place you needed to be when you walked in? I think a lot of it has to do with the remarkable teacher who was leading that class. He is this beautiful, (laughs) if I may say, Italian dancer who is just a physical specimen beyond (laughs) beyond comparison, which I think helps. But (laughs) it's more his energy. (laughs) He's genuinely filled with light. And that is transmitted in the way that he speaks to us, the way that he believes that each and every single person in that room is beautiful, is blessed with this grace. He wants us to display that in whatever shape and form it takes. So that room, okay, so I, I live in London, central London. It is a very diverse class of by and large women, but some men as well. And, you know, we come from all sorts of backgrounds, rich, poor, white, black. There are women who are wearing burqas in that class. And yet when that music starts playing, we are all the same and we are just letting loose, having fun and totally, totally glorying in our bodies. And it's magical. It genuinely is magical. And I guess it also creates a community doesn't it a dance class Mm. Um, especially if it's a time when you're you're feeling alone and that you there's stuff you want to share but don't know how to maybe sharing through movement through a a group of people all bollywooding it up is is the way to do it (laughs) I mean yeah you're right I um you know in that classic London way of going about life where you normally put your (laughs) headphones in your eyes are down And you just kind of like get on with your job and you just kind of, you know, you want everything to just be over quickly. I think that's how I was living life in those days. And what happened in that dance class was that I started looking up and looking at the faces of the people around me and just realizing that they were just like me. You know, we would exchange looks in the mirror in the studio room or we would just admire each other for like the moves that we were pulling off. That look on someone's face when they are just lost in 
a really good bit of music. uh, That's the kind of thing that, you know, at the end of a class, you might just start talking about in a way that you would never talk to that person on the street, right? Or on the tube or anything like that. And so there is something about the way that music, and I think dance in particular, breaks down these boundaries which allows connection, which allows us to reach out across all sorts of socio-demographic divides and just to be like, you know what, you're like me, we're all human and we are enjoying this together. And I guess coming to it as an adult as well, you're perhaps less worried about what you're getting wrong, what you're getting right, how you measure up to everybody. It, it's something you're doing for you and for no other reason. Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. You know, when I was a child, I think back to the, the little goody in the blue leotard who was just oh, appalled at the fact that she couldn't pull off the moves and she definitely didn't look the part. By contrast, the grown-up goody really threw all of that out the window. I mean, you know, the fact that I was able to get into that room, I mean, honestly, as soon as the music started playing, I just did not care. <laughs> you know, what I looked like was the last thing that anyone needed to worry about. And I think that's really liberating. For me, personally, that was really liberating. Once you can get rid of that self-consciousness, that mantle of, oh, I don't know, responsibility that you wear on your shoulders, then, oh, you can just let loose. You can just be yourself. And in that room, I think, you know, at that time, that was probably the only place I truly felt myself. I often think of this as nowadays in the NHS, you don't see doctors wearing white coats anymore. But it's almost like we have a psychological white coat. And it's this thing that is a burden, actually. It's this performance that we have to do for our patients, our colleagues. We have to play the role. And I think in that room, I was able to put down the role. I was able to put it away and to just inhabit myself. And through going to those classes and through the friends and, you know, really, really great friends that I made in that class, just rebuild myself, remake myself almost to be someone who I think now is stronger, healthier and just wiser. And when did you connect the thing that was bringing you joy in the dance classes with your work in hospitals? Because I guess initially those would have felt like they were in totally different corners of your life. How did you start to think about bringing them together? I actually remember this very clearly, looking in the studio mirror, looking at my face and the woman who was next to me dancing, how joyful we looked. And And I just thought, gosh, there are so many kids I see in my practice who are so deeply, deeply sad. Imagine if they were in this room now and what they might feel like if we were just dancing together. This idea haunted me all the way to work. (laughs) I actually suggested this as something that we might try, which is how about we actually try and dance on the wards with our patients and with each other as colleagues. And of course, (laughs) when I first suggested this, I was absolutely laughed out of the ward. (laughs) Everyone was just like, Everyone was just like, what are you talking about, Goody? Like, this is ridiculous. Great. This sounds like you had a great dance class, but yeah, leave it there, love. And well, also, presumably, the idea that this wasn't just something that patients did in a room by themselves, but that the, the staff would join in as well. That's also not how hospitals work, is it? No, you're absolutely right. So yeah, there is this tradition within the NHS, particularly around children, especially around Christmas or holidays, where you might bring in some kind of arts group to help cheer them up or whatever. And so that is not 
that unheard of. What is unheard of is that the doctors, the nurses, the staff themselves might get involved in any meaningful way. My suggestion was very much about that, about this breaking down of barriers, this blurring of boundaries and of bringing people together to inhabit this new space that dance opens up. Much like what happened to me when I went into my dance classes and I could forget myself, what I wanted was for people on the ward to forget who they were, forget that they're sick or forget that they're a busy health professional who hasn't eaten in a few hours, you know, just forget all of that for a few minutes and just be human together. Wow. And this is Barnet Hospital, is that right? This is Barnet Bopping. Yeah, so at the time, and it was a few years ago now, I was working in Barnet Hospital, so North London. Yeah, and what brought your colleagues round the idea how did you manage to convince them <laughs> well I'm quite persistent when I want to be <laughs> <laughs> I was getting that <laughs> but yeah if you ask anybody who has tried to make change happen in the NHS they will tell you that it's incredibly difficult and that's not because people don't have good intentions it's because people are actually very reluctant to change Often people like to stick with what they know. So often what I was told was things like, well, that's not how we do it. You know, this is how, this is how we do it. This is what we do. Or they invent or they kind of imagine difficulties that don't really exist. So, for example, some of the resistance I met when I tried to do this was from the cleaners who were worried that I'd be making a mess. And I was just like, we're, we're just dancing. <laughs> we're not doing anything that's going to create a mess. Or, or, or we had people who were worried about health and safety issues. And I said, well, all I'm going to do is clear some space and we'll have a, you know, we're not going to, we're not switching off any life support machines. We're just going to shift some tables and we'll, we'll dance, you know, no one's going to get hurt. Or, I mean, and this, you know, this is quite understandable. You know, the nurses who are in charge of the ward would say things like, well, you know, we're too busy. And I would say, well, how about we just try it and see because it might be that this break actually makes everybody much more productive and we actually get more done at the end of it. So it, it was essentially by making friends with a lot of people and trying to get them on board. And one specific consultant who was in charge and who was just a wonderful human being who not only recognized and saw me for who I was, but also understood this connection between physical and mental health. And that something as simple as a dance could actually have this effect and you know thanks to her her name is Sue Laurent and she will be forever one of those people in my life who has just changed the course of everything she really was this person who helped to champion this on the ward and I have to say you know that ward did change as a result of this what what so what changed well first of all and the way that I'd kind of configured this this session was that it was a nurse who was going to be teaching the doctors how to dance. And I think that was critical because, you know, we sadly, we still have hierarchies in medicine. And at the time, there was a lot of nurses not calling doctors by their first names. And yet what happened at the end of those sessions was that, first of all, everybody saw each other differently. We saw that everybody <laughs> can dance or try to dance. And more to the point that doctors actually can't do everything and they're not very good sometimes at what they will you know at, at everything and actually that nurses could have doctors something to teach and also that it's okay to look silly it's okay to not get it right it's in fact really fun when you learn together and so 
at the end of that, we realized that friendships could be made across these barriers. You didn't have to stick within your professional groups. And people genuinely just felt happier. Like I know, because I mean, at the time, the morale in the NHS was really, really low. On that particular ward, they had a staff turnover rate that was very, very high. And it's, you know, not a reflection on that hospital or that ward. It was more just of what was happening in the NHS at the time. We were at the end of a string of long, you know, many, many cuts. It was a time also at the end of the junior doctor contracts fiasco and the strikes and everything. So there was a lot of pressure in the NHS and it was just not a happy place to work. And yet in a few weeks of just doing those simple, very, I mean, they were free. You didn't have to pay for them. You know, it's just some music and doing the dancing. Right. At the end of the of several weeks, just a few weeks, the place had changed. People were happy. People were smiling. People wanted to stay on that ward. Nurses didn't apply to leave that ward anymore. And, you know, I can't tell you how important that is in terms of patient care because good quality patient care comes from staff who love their work, who want to be there. And because they've been there a while, actually know how things work. So, you know, in terms of good quality NHS care, here we are with a very low cost intervention that can actually give it to you. And it doesn't require any rocket science brilliant and were the children up for it immediately I mean they were presumably kids with a lot going on in their lives if they were in hospital so were they happy to throw themselves into this as well oh you know one of the best things about working with children is that (laughs) that they can be up for anything in a way my job was easy right we had children there and children legitimized this thing that I was doing when I was grabbing people and saying come on let's let's dance everybody and as soon as you had a few children doing it with me some of these doctors felt like, well, it's fine. I'm just doing it with my patients. You know, that's all I'm doing. I'm just doing my job. And actually, it just made it okay for them to be like, actually, I really like this. I love this music and I want to dance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the children were up for it. What's interesting is that it's an age thing, isn't it? Now, the older you get, the more self-conscious you get and the less enthusiastic you generally are I mean I don't know if you've ever come across any teenagers David but (laughs) (laughs) my teenage self is close to the surface let me tell you I can still feel the full body cringe (laughs) that I took with me um but yeah so so you know what I mean then when I say that like the teenagers they're the hardest nuts to crack in a way because they're worried about you know how cool they look but there's one particular girl I remember who was on the ward at the time, you know, very sad social story in terms of what was happening to her at home, a history of abuse. And she was admitted because she'd been self-harming at home, right? And so she was on the ward, physically actually okay, obviously mentally not okay, but she was sitting, like lying in bed, you know, and she was one of those patients who never makes eye contact with the doctors, barely speaks a word on ward rounds. And so you just kind of feel really helpless because you're like, how can I help you? What can I do to make things better? Well, of all of the people who got excited about this dance program, it was this girl. From being this really shy, evasive young girl, she suddenly opened up all of her layers of self-protection and her armor just completely melted away once the music started playing and she suddenly started singing. She suddenly started belting out the most incredible music. And we all looked at her with new eyes because we just 
suddenly saw her in a new light. We were just like, whoa, this has been lying in that hospital bed all this time. And instead of just talking to her about medication, about therapy, about getting, you know, whatever, maybe all we should have been doing was talking about art and music and dance and expression and anything that might have actually reached her as opposed to what we normally talk about on the ward. So, yeah, I think it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? It reaches everybody in different ways and it's sometimes experimentation that gets you, gets you to the core of what, who someone is. Part of what people want when they think of their health and their how that connects with their identity is that sense of being seen as a person rather than as a set of symptoms or as a as a problem to be fixed and I guess from what you're saying the dance classes helped do that helped helped it not be a collection of overworked doctors and other staff and children who had probably very worrying and scary things wrong with them but what became a collection of people Oh, 100%. I mean, you can imagine how scary it must be, right, to be a child who's unwell, who's brought into hospital. And imagine then how much worse it is when the the health professionals that are supposed to be helping you are tired, they're grumpy. And it, it almost feels like you almost can feel that all they want is to get you out, you know, next patient, please, come on, move on, move on. So how much better then if through this kind of thing where we can all connect through music instead we all feel like we are together we're in it together whatever it is that we're facing yeah you know whatever if if it's you know a hard day at work or if it's I'm worried about whether I'm going to survive whatever challenge it is that we're facing surely it's just better to feel like we are not alone and is that something that can be taken to older patients and that people can incorporate in their their well-being throughout their life. I think so. And I, I speak as someone who feels like they have incorporated it into their own lives in terms of mental health and well-being. But I think we're at the beginning of what I hope is a revolution. It is my mission that the use of arts like dance in healthcare is not a nice-to-have, but becomes a must-have, a part of standard mainstream healthcare. Because I know that it can have these beneficial effects and we have programs that are happening right across the country already where really innovative grassroots organizations are working with all sorts of different art forms in order to help people of you know with very very different diseases you know things like parkinson's disease or dementia or mental health problems all to to come to terms with their illness to maybe just feel better to connect to have that social connection And more to the point, we also know that it actually helps our physical health, like literally helps our physical health, helps us to get better, our wounds to heal, all sorts of things. There's a huge body of evidence now that this stuff works. And what's interesting to me is that we're not doing it yet as a matter of normal standard mainstream practice. And that's something I want to change in the NHS. Yeah, RAD have been starting to engage more and more with this idea of well-being rather than dance classes being targeted at small children and their technique it's about dance as part of a whole person a 360 degrees person and I, I think you know they've got this 
fantastic project called the Silver Swans, which started its ballet classes for people in their 50s and older, sometimes much, much older. And I think it started as a quite exploratory programme, a bit of a sort of side investigation, and it's quickly become a flagship project. And I suspect that part of it is that they're people who are taking their place in the world, taking up physical space and feeling that joy in their bodies at a time in their 60s, 70s, 80s, when the world is sort of turning away from them and telling them that they're not of interest. Mm. I'm sure there's a connection there. Gosh, that's such a beautiful description, isn't it? Because you're absolutely right. I mean, there are many things wrong with uh, our society. And one of the things is that we have a real fetishization over youth and this neglect of the old. And yet our elders have so much wisdom, so much experience to give us. And if only we could transcend that generational gap. You know, one of the, um, I guess, spin-off ideas that I had after we we started these dance classes in Barnet Hospital was not to limit it to pediatrics, but to actually get some of these kids to go over to some of the <laughs> geriatric wards, you know, maybe the stroke ward or, or or any any number of elderly care wards and to bring the dance to them as well. It's a shame in a way that we live such isolated lives, you know, where we kind of hang out with our own kinds of people. But there's so much to be gained from from people who are, you know, either years apart from us or from different kinds of background. And you're right, like how wonderful is it that even at the end of one's life, even if you are feeling physically frail, you are again through the medium of dance or music or whatever, able to feel 100% human again and to feel special. I had the real privilege of being able to see a project that was happening at the Scottish uh, National Ballet through some of the work that I do with the BBC on Trust Me, I'm a Doctor. And we covered a story there where they were, Scottish National Ballet were using ballet to help patients with Parkinson's disease. And again, I, I, I am a doctor. I am totally, you know, schooled in science and hard facts. But there is nothing to replace what I saw in that room. So we had these elderly people who were shaking with their Parkinson's. You know, they could not even speak to me without you know the the limitations of of what Parkinson's does and yet in the middle of that dance class all of a sudden it all dropped away and they were filled with grace I saw movements there that I would have been jealous of you know and it all came from tapping into something deeper than what they believed they could do it was almost like their bodies remembered how to move and they just needed to let go of that again that surface level consciousness and dig into it and and they were able to do it I mean I was speechless I could not believe what I was seeing there is no kind of mechanism that would explain that and yet the, the really encouraging thing is that the science is now catching up with what I guess you and I know intuitively which is that the arts are good for us you know there's amazing bits of work out now the National Centre for Creative Health is as a new institute, but it's actually bringing together all of these different academic networks and really helping people to get access to the evidence base on this. But the fact is that we actually know that there are more than 600 mechanisms for how the arts and culture can help people to become healthier. 600 mechanisms. 
I don't think we have 600 mechanisms for anything else in biomedicine. So the fact is that here we are with this beautiful thing that humans do because we can and because it's fun and because it's free. That might well be the key to keeping us all healthy and yet we're not doing it yet. How does this past year make you reflect on the work you do and 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 even more on our own vulnerable human bodies? Well, I can now say as someone who's had COVID twice <laughs> that it's pretty miserable and I have a newfound appreciation for what it means to be whole, what it means to be fully healthy. And yeah, I mean, I'm just so grateful that I didn't suffer anything worse than what I will say in quotes are the mild symptoms, but they lasted a long time. And I'm telling you this now, there are, are thousands of people across this country who are still having to deal with what people will call the mild symptoms of COVID. But yeah, my experience of this is that COVID has taught us that we are incredibly connected beings because the minute that we were not able to be connected to our friends, our families, our colleagues, we fell apart. People really struggled and are still struggling with the limits that we have on sociality. And if there's anything that we need to take out of this pandemic is that we need to revitalize our connections to people. And as I've seen through my own experience on the wards and in dance classes myself, art is a brilliant way to bring connection. Dance in particular is an amazing way to physically bring people together and to just spiritually connect. I could very happily sit here for another couple of hours <laughs> <laughs> asking you cheeky questions and, and, and happily drinking in the answers. But I am going to stop with this last question. Why does dance matter to you? It's a really... Um, it seems like such a simple question on the surface, doesn't it? But it's actually a really deep and beautiful question. To me, dance matters so much because it, it saved my life. There's a really great quote by um, the American actor, Christopher Walken. And what he says is this, none of us are getting out of here alive. So please stop treating yourself like an afterthought. Eat the delicious food, walk in the sunshine, jump in the ocean, Say the truth that you're carrying in your heart like hidden treasure. Be silly, be kind, be weird. There's no time for anything else. And I feel like dance matters because it shows you that there is no time for anything else. Just inhabit your full self, all of it, all, you know, warts and all, whatever you are. It's taught me that, and honestly, it's the best lesson I've ever had, and I want everyone to learn it, because you can be happy in yourself, and that joy can be spread to others through dance. To me, it's me trying to learn how to bring that dance in my own practice and to spread it through the NHS. I don't think it's going to save the world, but I do think it's going to make a big difference. Goody, that was gorgeous. Thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure. Oh, thank you, David. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be on this amazing podcast and to talk to you um about about issues that we obviously both care about so much <laughs> exactly that thank you so that was a blast goody's energy and her warmth really fizzed through 
And I love the idea that even if your first encounter with something like dance doesn't sit easily with you, you can still find a way towards it years later and still forge a profound connection. And her way of thinking about health, unsentimental, yes, but really compassionate, feels especially resonant just now. But what do you think? Does dance matter to you? Let me know. I'm at Mr David J's on Twitter. The RAD is at RAD headquarters. And you'll find links to all the RAD socials, the Silver Swans programme and more in our show notes. And please do subscribe and like the podcast. It's a great way to help other people who might enjoy Why Dance Matters. Why Dance Matters is made with help from the RAD team of Hayley Izzard, Celia Moran and Melanie Murphy. Our lovely artwork is by Bex Glendening and our producer is Sarah Miles. I'm David Jays. Take care. See you soon.